Well, it doesn't feel much like fall today, does it? That's why I got a short sleeve shirt on. Ah, it seems brighter than normal. Guess you guys got all bright faces. That's good. Probably all you can handle. (laughs) Question. What do you call an Amish guy with his hands in a horse's mouth? Answer, a mechanic. A little too deep, I guess, huh? We'll we'll, we'll keep it lighter next week. Lighter next week. Got to remember to keep those jokes lighter. All right, this morning we're going to continue our series in the uh, book of 1 John. And I've entitled the message this morning, Where Do You Get Life? Where do you really get life from? Lord, I just thank you for humor. I thank you for uh, this beautiful weekend we've had. And uh, I thank you for everyone that was able to make it out this morning. And I ask for your blessing to be upon them. You drew them here. Lord, anytime we just praise and worship you, something just happens to us. We begin to experience life, that, the life that you intended us to experience. So I just continue to cry out, Holy Spirit, that you would even come in greater measure so that we can experience more life, that we can see where really where we get real life from. As always, I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. I ask that you, Lord, would... Uh, Just give me the words that you want me to speak. And I ask that you would give each one of us soft hearts to receive and ears to hear. And I just thank you for what you're going to do now in these next several minutes. And I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Life. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, child, and you just had so much energy. You were full of life. In fact, You've thought of life in terms of an adventure. It was exciting. You hated to go to bed because you didn't want to miss anything. And now most of us can't wait to go to bed and hope we miss a lot of things, right? (laughs) We were designed for life. Why is it so many of us, though, are not experiencing very much life? The answer lies in so many of us, especially Americans, we try to find life in all of the wrong places. Eric Weiner, he wrote... The book, Man Seeks God. Skip, can you put up the cover there? And at one point, he describes his journey, his search for life. Listen very carefully to what he said. The 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal coined the term God-shaped whole to describe the yearning void that is in the human condition. Over the years, I've attempted to fill my God-shaped whole with all kinds of stuff, food, Sex, material things, success, more food, travel, drugs, books, more food, leather-bound notebooks, red Zinfandel, Cuban cigars, yet more good food, watching movies, and once briefly, an ill-advised concoction of Guinness and Jack Daniels imbibed through a plastic funnel. Not a good idea. Wiener's conclusion, none of it, none of it Worked. Wiener said we are all looking for something to fill up that yawning void, something to give us life. The Apostle John this morning, 
He wants to talk to us about where we really find and get real life from. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4. Skip, can you put them up? We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom you have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share in our joy. John tells us that life is found in a person, not things. One of the great problems we have here in America is the inability to distinguish between real life and pseudo-life. Pseudo-life is that which tantalizes the flesh. And sadly, this is the life which the vast majority of us settle for. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see God's hall of fame of faith. And the people by and large that you see in God's hall of fame of faith are those people who have placed their trust in God, believing that he and he alone can give them life and not their flesh or the things of this world. One of those people that you find in Hebrews chapter 11 is none other than a man by the name of Moses the Magnificent. We pick up his story, Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 24. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses, he grew up in a palace. He was a palace man. Moses knew all about the carnal and worldly life, living to tantalize the flesh. Banquets, can you imagine the banquets and the parties this guy knew? I mean, he had slaves. He had slaves waiting on him, hand and foot. They were meeting every one of his needs. He had power at his fingertips. He was popular. He was famous. He was well-known. You see, palace people are fleshly obese, but soul anorexic. Palace people are fleshly obese, but soul anorexic. What most people do not understand is the more you feed your flesh, the emptier your soul becomes. Moses teaches us that temporal things can never ever satisfy and give life to your eternal soul. In fact, in John chapter 4, we see a great illustration of this. Skip, can you put up the verses in John chapter 4? Starts out like this. He, Jesus, had or must go through Samaria on the way. He was actually on the way to Galilee. And why must Jesus go through Samaria? Because no Jew, or at least good Jew, would be caught dead in Samaria because they were sellouts. They were half-breeds. But you see, Jesus had an appointment. He had a divine appointment. And we're told this in verse 5. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus 
tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. There is Jesus's appointment. Notice she's at noontime. Ding, 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 ding. Problem. You see, women came to get water, not at noontime, but either early or late. So what does this tell you? She's an outcast. She's an outcast. Jesus, God, has a divine appointment with an outcast. We would think he'd be seeing kings. Soon a Samaritan came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and who is speaking to you now, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Ah, there is the human problem. We need living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, this well is very deep. Where are you going to get this living water? And besides, do you think you are greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Do you see the problem? The problem is we always think external, something external will give us life. Jesus is saying, now. The problem and the reason why we don't have life and we're not satisfied is because our souls are emaciated. He goes on, or the woman says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water that I may never be thirsty and I won't have to come and get water. See, the woman still doesn't get it. So Jesus is going to help her. Watch what he does, verse 16. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you are. You don't have a husband for you've had five of them. And you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Do you see this woman's problem? She was trying to satisfy, to find life, to satiate her eternal soul with men. You might say, what a moron. Any woman here knows that a man ain't going to do that. She's not one-time loser, twice, three, four, five. Now she's living with a loser. And she still can't figure out a man isn't going to do it. A man isn't going to give her life. Nothing temporal can quench the thirst of your eternal soul. Are you making that mistake this morning? You know, most people do. It's not a new thing. 2,600 years ago, the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah wrote these stunning and penetrating words. Skip, can you put them up? Jeremiah chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14. The heavens are shocked. Can can you believe that? The heavens are shocked. Now, what what are the heavens shocked at? Such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people, the Jews, have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, 
the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. I mean, can you believe it? How in the world are the Jews, the very people of God, empty? They're empty. They're parched. They're thirsty. I'll tell you how. They were looking for life in all of the wrong places. They were looking for life in the foreign gods that were surrounding them. And God calls them out on He says, how's it working out for you? The answer is not too good. The reality was the reason why it wasn't working out for them too good is because they found themselves in bondage. They were trying to drink a water that simply could not satisfy their eternal souls. I'm going to ask you this morning, are you digging broken cisterns? Are you drinking from water that couldn't possibly satisfy your parched eternal soul? You know, the Apostle John makes it clear in the verses that we looked at in verses 1 through 4 that it is only a person, only one person, now listen, only one person right now can satisfy your emptiness. Only one person can really satiate your thirst, and his name is Jesus. And John gives us two very good reasons why it's Jesus and Jesus alone who can satisfy your thirst of your soul and give you life. The first reason is found in verse 1. I want to look at these very quickly. Verse 1. Skip, can you put up verse 1? We proclaim to you, that's the apostles who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. The first reason why Jesus and Jesus alone can give you life is because his words can give you life. He is the word of life. When Jesus speaks, life comes forth. Let me ask you a question. What happens when you speak? What happens when you speak to your spouse? What happens when you speak to your children or your neighbor or your coworker? Life or death? You know, several years ago, I was at my favorite store, Barnes and Nobles. I was just browsing through the Christian section, and suddenly I came upon a book with the most interesting title. The title was this, The Greatest Words Ever Spoken. Now, you know, my first thought, Skip, can you put the picture down? Don't, yeah. You know, I I thought, how fascinating. I mean, it, it was rather arrogant. Can you imagine writing a book, The Greatest Words Ever Spoken? I mean, think about this. To qualify as the greatest words ever spoken, the words would have to be extraordinary. They would have to produce life-altering changes, not just for a few people, but for billions of people. These words would have to impart hope to those in despair, joy to those whose hearts are broken, and peace that subdues even the most paralyzing of fears. To rank as the greatest words ever spoken, the words would have to exert enough power to transform a hateful heart into a loving one, a mind driven by greed into one overflowing with generosity, a life ruled by arrogance into one driven by the desire to actually serve others. If they are truly the greatest words ever spoken, they would have to have the power to give deliverance to the captive, forgiveness to the wrongdoer, and life to the dead. And you know, as, as, as I saw this cover, I finally looked down to see who the author is, and now you can put it up, Skip. 
And the author is none other than Jesus. That book is full of Jesus' words, red letter edition all throughout. You see, his words right here can give you life. Now you say, well, why can they give you life? I'll tell you why, because John gives us a second reason in verse 2. Skip, can you put up 1 John chapter 1 and verse 2? Guess not. Here we go. 1 John Chapter 1 and verse 2. Well, there we go. We'll look at him. Um, He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him, and we now testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. Isn't that interesting? A person is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. Now, you know, in the Greek, eternal can carry a number of meanings. One of them is source. So what John is telling us here is that Jesus is the source of life. And the reason why his words have power, can give you life, is because Jesus Christ is life itself. One of the most fascinating yet perplexing teachings of Jesus is found in the book of John. And the context of John chapter 6 is Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, 5,000 men, a happy meal. That didn't even include the men or the women and children, maybe 20,000. And you know what he did it with? Five loaves and two fish. How, you know, I wish my wife could stretch food like that. Five loaves, two fish, 20,000 people. Now, I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus, despite what you might hear from people, is really not interested in feeding your flesh happy meals and making your flesh happy. You know what he is interested in? Your soul. He's interested because that's who you are. That's who I am. He's interested in giving our souls life. So we pick up the story, John chapter 6, here. And he's talking to a bunch of people. And Jesus said, so he's teaching. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, verse 32. Moses didn't give you bread, that is happy meals from heaven. My father did that. Now, now he's going to offer you true bread from heaven. So Jesus is going to move from the physical to the spiritual. Remember, we're not the brightest light bulbs in the classroom. That's going to be a problem for him. Verse 34, sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is saying he and he alone can satisfy the thirst, the emptiness in your soul, in my soul. Dropping over to verse 47. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, should be in there, has eternal life. Can you believe that? The moment you really trust in Jesus Christ, eternal life begins. See, we keep thinking eternal life starts, you know, when I die and I'm in heaven. No, no, eternal life starts when you truly, genuinely become born again and you trust in eternal life. Yes, he said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate man in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so that the world may live is my flesh. Now, I love verse 52. 
Then the people began grumbling, arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they ask. And you know what Jesus is thinking at this moment? I should have created humans with bigger brains. I didn't realize they were. No, seriously, it's going, how could they possibly be this thick? So Jesus again said, verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. We drop down to verse 60. Many of his disciples said, wow, that's a very hard thing to understand. Who can accept it? Translation, this guy's nuts. Verse 61, Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining. Now, remember, it says disciples here. It's really fascinating. So he said to them, does this offend you? No kidding, Jack. Then what will you think when you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? Now, let's drop down to verse 66. At this point, now watch this. At this point, many of his disciples turned away, and they deserted him. That's what we call fair-weather Christians. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't understand everything that Jesus says. And you're not either. But you're going to have to make a decision whether he is trustworthy or not. Can you believe it? It said, and these disciples turned away. They, they didn't like that teaching. Are there some teachings of Jesus you don't like? See, they essentially just tore him out of their Bible. And here's the interesting thing. It says they deserted him. They deserted him. They left him. Then Jesus turned to the 12. Can you see him? Are you going to leave too? Now, I love Simon Peter. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. I love that guy. I love that guy. You know, he gets it right finally. Peter gets most things wrong, but he gets this one right. You know, he goes, Jesus, I don't know who you fully are. I really don't get it. But one thing I know, you speak, and my soul comes alive. And Peter would later learn the reason why his soul would come alive is because Jesus truly is eternal life. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you know this Jesus? Do you really know this Jesus? I'm asking you for a reason. Do you know this Jesus who really can give life? Well, you know, many years ago, in Chicago, there's Chicago Divinity School in Chicago. And like I said, this happened many, many years ago at the University of Chicago Divinity School. They had a thing called Baptist Day. It's a day where they would invite all of the Baptists in the surrounding area of Chicago to come. And they would listen to someone discuss various points of theology. On this day, they would bring their own lunch. And they would eat the lunch as a speaker was speaking. On this particular occasion, the school had invited perhaps the most well-known theologian at that time, at that day. That theologian was none other than Dr. Paul Tillich. Skip, can you put up his picture? In fact, he made Time magazine. That's how popular he was when this occurred. Now, Dr. Tillich was to speak on the resurrection, and for over two hours, he talked about how the resurrection of Jesus was false. He quoted scholar after scholar. He quoted book after book, and then Dr. Tillich concluded his speech this way. 
since there is no such thing as the historical resurrection, the religious tradition of the church is groundless and is a bunch of emotional mumbo-jumbo because it is based on a relationship with a risen Jesus who is in fact never rose from the dead in any literal sense. And you could have heard a pin drop in that room. And then Dr. Tillich asked the audience if they had any questions. Five seconds passed. Ten seconds passed. Fifteen seconds passed. And suddenly in the back of the room, an old black Baptist preacher stood up. Can you see him? Short cropped, white woolly hair. And he said, Dr. Tillich, I got one question. And all eyes in the auditorium turned to that old black Baptist preacher. And the old black Baptist preacher, he reached into his sack. And he pulled out an apple. And he began to eat it. I like this. It's actually a good one. I have to ask my wife what kind of apple that is. And the black preacher said, Dr. Tillich, Dr. Tillich. I just got one question. Now, I ain't never read any of them books you read. And I can't recite the scriptures from the original Greek. And you know, I know nothing about Niebuhr and Heidinger. You know what I want to know? All I want to know I want you to tell me, is this apple that I'm eating, is it sweet or is it bitter? Dr. Tillich thought for a moment, and he answered the question in true scholarly fashion. He said, I cannot possibly answer the question, for I haven't tasted your apple. And the old white-haired black Baptist preacher, one more bite took the core of his apple, put it in his bag. He looked at Dr. Tillich, and he said, Dr. Tillich, neither have you tasted my Jesus. And the thousand-plus people in the auditorium broke into spontaneous applause. They couldn't help themselves. Dr. Tillich thanked the audience, and then he walked off the stage. Smart man. Let me challenge us this morning. The challenge is going to be found in 1 John, now that I got you warmed up. Verses 3 and 4. Skip, can you put them up? We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Now, those verses our power pack. See that word fellowship there? The Greek word is koinonia. You know what koinonia means, literally? Koinonia means this, and it's important. Now listen to this. It means to share or to have something in common. To share or have something in common. You see, listen to now what John is saying. John is saying it's not enough for him to experience life itself. 
He wants others to experience that same life. It's not enough. It is not enough for him to experience that life. He wants others to experience that joy. And that's why he says in verse 4, make our, that is the other apostles, joy complete. Please note this now. Listen, John did not write, we write this to make your joy complete. In fact, that would seem to make more sense. John should, it would make sense that John was saying, see the life that I got by trusting in Jesus? I want you to experience that same life. I want you to have that same joy. That, 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 that would make sense, but that's not what he's saying. He writes this, listen now, make our, the apostles' joy complete. John is saying to his readers, and that includes every single one of us now, I want you to understand that my experience And your experience of Jesus will be lacking something unless you share that experience with others. Let me give you a feel for this. Let's discuss one of my favorite things to do. Go to a restaurant. Go to a restaurant with... Let's say you go to a restaurant. Let's personalize it. You go with your spouse... And, you know, this restaurant is incredible. I mean, the food is scrumptious. The service is stellar, and the scenery is sublime. You finish your meal, you're driving back, and you go, wow, was that restaurant good or what? Now, that's, that, that, that's joy, isn't it? That's joy. Now, let's say you tell some friends about this restaurant, okay? And they go the next weekend, and they come back to you, and they go, whoa, you weren't kidding, Jack. That restaurant was really, really good. Well, now you have more joy, because now you have someone who's experienced the same thing you've experienced, and you have something to talk about. But you know what? It gets better. Let's say that you guys all decide to go to the same restaurant together. And you almost order everything off the menu. You sample each other's entrees. You share a couple of desserts, even. And then you have coffee after, and you just enjoy the afterglow. Now, now your joy is really complete because you have actually shared the experience with people that you genuinely care about and love. Do you see this? Do you understand this? You see, our Christian experience is incomplete. If you truly, now listen listen to me now, 90% of American Christians never share Jesus Christ. Did you know that? It's not my statistic. 90%. See, It doesn't work. John is saying, see, if I've really experienced Jesus and his life, i got to share it. In fact, he says, I feel incomplete until I do share it. Does that make sense? So in other words, it's like I said, if if you've experienced this fantastic restaurant, you can't, I mean, if we can't shut our mouths about a restaurant, how in the world? Is it possible for us to experience life if we have and, 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 and contain it and keep it to ourselves? How is that possible, John is saying? He's saying it's got to burst out of you and you've got to share it. 
do, do you understand? Do you, do you see my problem with American Christianity? See, here's my question. My question isn't whether the apple is bitter or sweet. Here's my question to you. Are you sure? Are you, uh, can you, are you absolutely certain? Because, by the way, you're staking your eternal soul right now. If you were to die right now, your eternal soul is on the line. Have you honestly and really experienced that life? Do you know that you know that you know it's in you? You are having sweet fellowship with Jesus. You know, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, I love to say this as I'm talking to people, and I can see the Spirit fall on. I say, you know, I see the Spirit working on you. And Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. I'm knocking. And if you, notice he says, you got to open it. If you open that door, I will come in. And you know the word he uses? I will have fellowship with you. I will have fellowship with you. Now, how can you tell me that you're having fellowship with life? No, no, eternal life. Wait a minute. And, and, And you're dead. No, no. You can't be full. And having fellowship with life itself and you yourself not experience life. And what happens if I'm experiencing life? What does the text say? You'll have joy. And you'll want other people to know that joy. I'm going to ask you again. Because the rest of 1 John won't make sense. Do you really know that life? Are you experiencing that life? so much so that you have joy and you're sharing it. You can honestly say you're sharing it with others. Lord, I know you're working, Holy Spirit, and I'm thankful for that. I mean, this, this, this is rubber meets the road. This is a guy who experienced the depths of of, of soul darkness the day Jesus died. Thought it was over. Three days later, we learned last week when he probed those wounds with his hands. He put his hand in that side wound of Jesus. He began to know a life that carried on for the next 60 years. He was willing to suffer any and everything because it didn't matter. He knew now where life is. Jesus. He had experienced real fellowship with Jesus. My prayer is, Lord, as we sing this last song, that all the hours late, we were just so tired of people putting up walls and excuses and rationalizations for not letting Jesus really in to be Lord. Today is that moment. This morning is that moment. Now, to fully let him in and begin to experience a life and a joy we never knew possible. Amen. 
Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.